Okay, good evening. First of all, thank you to the, uh, to the Eisenbergers for the Eisenbergs. Eisenbergers? Eisenberg. Eisenbergs for hosting. Eisenbergs for hosting. That their home should be filled with light. We'll talk about the Indian of Hanukkah and the Indian of Ar. There should be a schos at their house that will be a base of Adla Chachamim and a place for Achnasus Archem. They should be zechet to tremendous amount of Shechan, Ruchnius, and Gashmias for hosting this year. Um, so officially, this is a share which is, like officially, Sunday morning share. And officially, it's a share which is discussing the Pneumius of each and every month and the Avaid of each and every month. We began two months ago and we started discussing Tishrei and Cheshvan a little bit before Rosh Hashanah. We spoke about Cheshvan. And I think now the, the goal is today to really discuss the month of Kislev, although. I'm not going to discuss maybe so much the month of Kislev in and of itself, but perhaps in the greater context of the Yantav of Hanukkah. That's really what, what we're here tonight to talk about is the preparation for Hanukkah. Hanukkah is a Yantav which comes all the way to the end of Chedesh Kislev, 25th day of Kislev, so it's really at the end of the month, and we're holding you know, more than three, about three weeks away from Hanukkah, and it feels very, you know, very far off in a distance. There's not a lot of practical work to put into Hanukkah. You don't have to clean your house, you don't have to build a sukkah, there's not a lot, there's not much to do. You don't have to buy a little of an There's very little in terms of practical work to do. Most people probably have the same manure that they have from the year before. Their kids will bring home a new project of a new manure. You buy the oil, if you buy the crack of ones, you have even less work. There's not really a lot of practical work to do for the Yantav of Hanukkah. It just sort of happens. You come home, you light the manure, your husband lights the manure, and that's basically the whole Yantav of Hanukkah. But obviously, in terms of internally, spiritually, there's obviously a tremendous amount of work to be done. It's a Yantav which the Yom Tov specifically. Yom Tov Mechanaka and Purim, which we'll talk about as we get to Chedesh Adar. Yom Tov Mechanaka and Purim have a tremendous, tremendous amount of depth, perhaps even more so, because they're not the Eraisi Yom Tovim, the Yom Tovim which are the Rabbanan Yom Tovim, and therefore they seem externally to be a lot less significant. They come on a regular weekday, you're allowed to drive, you're allowed to do everything, you can go to work. Everything seems to be functioning as a regular day, but that doesn't mean that there's less going on on Chanukah. On the contrary, there's even more going on on Chanukah and Purim, except there's less going on externally. So externally, there's not as many mitzvahs to do. There's, there's just, you light the menorah, and that's it. You can walk away from it after you light it. It's not a whole day's event. It's not a whole week's event. It's not a, you know, months of preparation. But anytime we have something that's less external, it only means that there's something going on more internal. And therefore, when we want to prepare for the yontif externally, there's very little to do. But internally, there's a tremendous, tremendous amount to do. And perhaps we'll discuss tonight specifically the concept of where the woman, where the woman fit into the role of Hanukkah. There's obviously a lot to talk about when it comes to women in Hanukkah. Women, you know, e- even though Hanukkah is a mitzvah cessation as man grama, and therefore women should not be obligated in it. However, the Mechaber Paskins very clearly that women are obligated in the mitzvah of Hanukkah. Women have to be, women have to be included in the mitzvah of Hanukkah. Their husband lights for them, the father lights for them. Practically, they don't light the menorah, but nevertheless, they are obligated in the mitzvah of Hanukkah just like men, even though it's a mitzvah cessation as man grama. Why? They were part of the nace, they were part of the miracle, and therefore women are included in the mitzvah of Hanukkah. Not only not only are they included in the midst of Hanukkah, but they were also the catalyst. They were the reason why the nace of Hanukkah took place. We all know the story with Yehudis, the, the daughter of Matisio, of Yechenon, Kain Gadol, and the tremendous mysterious nefesh she had. And therefore the whole story of Hanukkah really revolves around the woman's role in causing the miracle to take place and a woman's role in being involved in the Yantav of Hanukkah. Maybe not again externally, maybe not in lighting the menorah, but internally we'll see there's a very, very important and strong role that women play when it comes to the Yantav of Hanukkah. So I'm going to start off with something a little bit halachic. We're not, it's not a halachic share, but something a little bit halachic, and you can go home and tell your husbands that you learned a little bit of lambdas and a little bit of Gemara. It's, hopefully we'll get to understand it. It's not so complicating, but it's something which I think will sh- sheds a tremendous amount of light into what the Yantav of Hanukkah is. 
So there's normally, when it comes to mitzvahs, there are normally two types of mitzvahs. There's a mitzvah which is called cheves gavra and cheves chefza. Right? There's a gavra and chefza type of mitzvah, which means, for example, the mitzvah of shefer is, is not, the mitzvah of shefer, every person has, every person has to hear the blowing of the shefer. When it comes to lulav and esrog, every person has to hear lulav and esrog. When it comes to Shabbos, making Kiddush Friday night, every person has to either hear it from somebody else or make it themselves. That's a mitzvah which is called a chayvaz gavra. The person, gavra means a person. Every person is obligated in doing the mitzvah. That's a mitzvah, most mitzvahs fall into the category of something which is called chayvaz gavra. Then there are mitzvahs which are not chayvaz gavra, the chayvaz chavza. For example, do you have to have, does a man have to have Tzitzis on, on his, uh, uh, we, does a man have to be wearing tzitzis constantly? No, if he has a beged, if he has a garment that has four corners in it, it has to have tzitzis, and if not, no. Do you have to have a mezuzah? Is every person obligated to put up a mezuzah? No, if you own a house, then the house has to have a mezuzah. If you don't own a house, you don't have to have a mezuzah. That's not, there's no obligation that every person needs to, needs to you know, put a mezuzah up somewhere. There's an obligation if you own a house, you have to put a mezuzah up. Uh, another example is shloach hakan. Right? Do you have to send a mother bird away? No. If you chance upon a nest which has a mother bird in it and you want to take the eggs, then this is the process that you go. And it's not a chayvis gavra. It's not, it's not that every person, each and every person is obligated in the mitzvah. It's a chayvis, it's a chayvis chefza. That if you own a certain object, this is what you have to do. If you own a house, put a, make sure you put a mezuzah on. If you see a, see a bird's nest, make sure that you send away the mother's birds. That's called chayvis gavra and chayvis chefza. It's normally the way that the place can split two mitzvah, mitzvahs into two categories. Mitzvahs Hanukkah, we would normally all say, every person is obligated to light the menorah, regardless of where you are, regardless of where you're staying, regardless of whether you own a house or don't own a house, one, every person should be obligated to light a menorah. However, the Paiskim say that the Mitzvah Chanukah is not a Chavis Gavra, but it's a Chavis Chavza, which means if you do not own a home, you're not obligated to light the menorah. There's a separate bracha, very fascinating, there's a separate bracha that you make overseeing a menorah, if somebody does not own a home or somebody's traveling the whole day and will not be home and has nobody to light for him, when he sees a menorah, he'll make a bracha overseeing the menorah. He won't say the bracha of lahad l'kner shalchanaka because you're not actually lighting it, but you'll make the bracha of shasinisim and if it's the first night, shachiyanu. But if a person does not own a home or if a person is not at home, without getting into the intricacies of the details of halacha, whether one's a guest or not, but if one does not own a home, one does not light the menorah. Which means that normally, menorah should be, Hanukkah should be a mitzvah which is obligated on each and every person. And Chazal went ahead, and Chazal said that the, the avayda of Hanukkah, the mitzvah of Hanukkah, is ner ishu beisai. The mitzvah of Hanukkah is specifically related to a person owning a house, and not only to a person owning a house, one person has the capability to light for everybody in the house. Which means, for example, the Chacham Tzvi brings down. If let's say you have a child under the age of our mitzvah who lights a menorah in a home. So now normally, somebody under the age of our mitzvah can't be mighty anybody else in any mitzvahs. He has to do the mitzvahs for himself, maybe because of chinuch, and the adults have to do it for themselves. The Chacham Tzvi brings down that if a child under the age of our mitzvah lights a menorah in a home, everybody's pater from doing the mitzvah. Everybody fulfilled the mitzvah. But nobody did the mitzvah. The kid's on not bar mitzvah yet. He, wasn't, he hasn't reached the stage of being mechayiv in mitzvahs. Nevertheless, since the home has a menorah lit in it, that's already considered that the mitzvah was, mitzvah was accomplished. Which means the mitzvah of Hanukkah is a mitzvah which is very unique from other mitzvahs that has nothing to do with the people, it has to do with the home. It's a mitzvah which is obligated only when you own a home. And once one menorah is lit in the home, really that's halakhically good for everyone. We're machmer, Ashkenazim are machmer that we have every person light their own menorah, but really halakhically, ne'er ishu beise. One menorah alone is enough for the, whole home, for the whole home, and that can include everybody in everybody in the menorah. Now, why is that so? So, 
without getting in, without getting into it, the Pnei Yeshua says the reason why that's so is because it's a pursuing Nisa. The whole whole idea of Hanukkah is about spreading the miracle and spreading the nace and letting more people know about it. Therefore, it doesn't have to do with how many people light it. It has to do with that every home should have a menorah lit in it. But what we do see. And this is what we'll focus on tonight, is that mitzvah of Hanukkah is different than almost any other mitzvah we perform throughout the year. That it's not a mitzvah which is based on people, it's a mitzvah which is based on the home. That every home is obligated to have menorah in it, and one menorah is good for the whole home, and that's the whole obligation of Hanukkah, is it goes based on the home, and not based, and not based on the people. Which, which, again, which is different than every other mitzvah, and, and we'll discuss why that's so. It shouldn't be that way. Halakhically, it shouldn't be that way. It should be a mitzvah which is just a general mitzvah, but it's limited to the home. Now, now what does Hanukkah have to do with the home? Why is Hanukkah taken from being a mitzvah which should be obligated on people, and it's moved to the realm of being obligated on the home? What, what's special and unique about the mitzvah of Hanukkah, about the mitzvah of lighting a menorah, that instead of just saying, okay, every person has to light a menorah, regardless of whether the person owns a home, doesn't own a home, he's at home, he's traveling, why is the mitzvah of Hanukkah specifically limited to the idea of owning a home and having a home? So in order to really understand what the mitzvah of Hanukkah is and why it has so much to do with the home, and the, the words Chazal use are ne'er issue based it's one light is enough for everybody, really have to, really have to back up and understand what the fight between Yavan and Klal Yisrael was. The fight between Yavan and Klal Yisrael was unlike any other battle that we fought throughout our history. Every other nation that stood up against us had one, had one, had one really two goals in mind. Either to totally annihilate us, totally wipe us out, or to assimilate us. Or to say, listen, you, you, can, you, can, you, know, you can stay alive as long as you convert. You can, you know, in Spain, they tried to do this. You can stay alive as long as you convert to Christianity. You can, you can stay alive. Other than that, a person's killed, you know, the Jewish nation is going to be wiped out. So they have one of two goals normally, either to wipe us out or in the country. Or they say, we won't wipe you up. We'll keep you alive. However, you have to become Christian. Yavan did not do that. Yavan did not destroy the base of Mikdash. Yavan did not, did not even ask us from learning Torah. Yavan's goal was one goal. Yavan said you can stay alive, not only that you can remain Jews, not only can you remain Jews, you can have a base in Mikdash, but what Yavan tried to do is contaminate any purity that Klal Yisrael had. Yavan represents the idea of Chachma. Yavan wasn't just such a, it wasn't a physical nation like all the other nations. Yavan's representation is in the world of Chachma. Yavan represents something much more lofty and much higher than the other nations. Therefore, when Yavan attacks Klal Yisrael, they don't attack Klal Yisrael externally, they only attack Klal Yisrael internally. Right, we know that when Yavan, when the Yavanim came into the base of Mikdash, they didn't, wipe, they, didn't, they didn't take all the oil and spill it on the floor. Right? There wasn't that the, the Kayan Gadol came in and the Kayanim came in and they couldn't find any oil. They found oil. But all the oil that they found was Tameh. Yavan said you can have oil, you can have a base of Mikdash, you can have a Menorah, you can have Torah, you can have everything that you want, everything that it means to be a Jew, except you can't have the internal, you can't have the purity. You can't have that which is really important, not just the external, but you can't have the internal. The, the Shem Yishmuel writes that because Yavan represented the idea of Chachma, and Chachma is above and beyond that which is external, therefore when Yavan attacks us, they attack us internally. Keep the Beis HaMikdash, keep the Menorah, keep the oil, keep everything that you need. Keep Torah, keep everything. Keep the Jewish schools, keep everything you need, but they suck the life. They suck the Pneumius out of, out of what it means to be a Yid. They said, stay alive, but don't, but don't be alive the way it is. Yavan, one of, the, one of the things that Yavan did, one of the terrible gazeras that Yavan did, that the Greeks did, was they made a gazera that every woman that's getting married has to be tubal hagman tchila. She can get married to a nice Jewish man. That's not an issue at all, but she has to be intimate with, with, with one of their officers first. Now, that, that, that's a warped type of decree to make. They didn't make a decree you can't, marry, you can't marry Jewish men and you have to marry non-Jews. Marry a Jewish man. 
They have no problem with that. However, they're contaminating the inside. They're contaminating internally what it means, the separation between the Jews and the nations of the world. You can remain a nation, but you're not a special nation. You can remain, you can have oil, but the oil is contaminated. You can have a base of mikdash, you can have a home, but the home is not pure, the home is lacking. That which separates that home, the home which is called the base of mikdash, from being a home which is the nations of the world. The whole idea of Yavan is to suck out the panemius, is to take everything which is externally looks beautiful and to say, but there's nothing special about it. There's nothing unique about it. There's nothing pure about it. There's nothing extraordinary about it. The nation of, the nation, Klal Yisrael is just like every other nation. The Torah is just like every other wisdom. Being involved in the base of Mikdash is just another beautiful building. There's nothing special about the Jewish nation. So they say so you can keep the oil, but the oil is contaminated. One of the things that Yavan did was they, they translated the whole Torah. They said, you can have Torah, not a problem. You can keep Torah, but not in your special language. Not on Lashon HaKadosh. Torah now gets translated into Greek. Torah is now translated into every other language. It's just like every other language. Torah is just like every other wisdom. There's nothing special and unique about the idea of Torah. Memela, when it comes to, when it comes to the concept of fighting Yavan, we don't fight them the way we fight the other nations. The way you fight the other nations is externally. There's a fight, there's a battle which takes place externally, which obviously there was a battle, a physical battle that took place as well, but that's not the main way that we fight the battle of Yavan. The battle of Yavan, the way we fight Yavan, is by working on the internal part of what it means to have a Jewish home. What Yavan said is you can have the home, you can have the Jewish home, but it can't be special. It can't be something which is unique. It can't be powerful. It can't be something which is, which is beyond the nations of the world. It can't be something which has a light shining inside of it. The way that we fight the power of Yavan, the way that we fight that klipa, which is the klipa of Yavan, is by understanding and recognizing and internalizing and giving over to ourselves and to our children what it means to have a Jewish home. What it means that, that there's a beauty, that our homes are not like the nations of the world, that there's a separation between Klal Yisrael and the nations of the world, that we are different. That oil rises to the top because oil is different. And the oil that rises to the top is not Tame, and it's not impure, and it's not the same as, and, and defiled as, as every other nation in the world. There's something special and unique about what it means to be a Yid. That's the way one fights Yavan. Yavan represents the idea of fighting, taking away the special, taking away that, that which is beautiful about what it means to be a Yid. Yavan says you can have the base of Iktish, but it's Tame. And the way we fight Yavan is by saying, okay, we have the home, we have the structure, but we're not, just fo- we're not just focusing on building the structure, we're focusing on building the internal. We're focusing on allowing that light to be able to shine inside of every one of our homes, and Mimela, we're able to fight that power which is called Yavan. What that means is, on a very practical level, is that the goal, the goal of every, 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 husband and, every husband and wife, every father and mother, is to ensure that their home is not just a home. Their home is not just a home which has all the external things that make it a Jewish home, that we keep Shabbos and we light candles and we light a menorah and we're involved in, we do the Parsha sheet on Shabbos and we, read, and we read the Chumash and we're involved in all those things externally which make it a Jewish home externally. But the goal of the way to fight Yavan is to make sure that internally, that there's something that we know and we're able to give over to our children to recognize that being Jewish and living in a Jewish home, living in a Yiddish home, is the greatest thing in the world. And the simcha and the joy that our children are able to feel over understanding what it means to keep a Shabbos, what it means to be involved in, in reading a Parsha sheet, what it means to be able to do chesed to other people, they recognize that this is special, that a that it's not just, okay, we're doing it, this is, we go to this school and they go to that. There's something different and unique and special about what it means to be a Yid. You know, we just took a trip to Eretz Yisrael. One theme that kept coming up again and again and again, but many of the Gedelim that I went to, whether it's like Mlir Rabinovich, or Mailach Biederman, or Bitsik Berkowitz, many of them mentioned the same theme that if we want to ensure that our children are brought up in a proper way, if we want to ensure that our children are given the tools to succeed, 
spiritually and physically in the future, we need to ensure that our homes are filled with happiness, light, and joy. We need to make sure that our children know that, that, that what it means to be a Yid is the greatest, greatest gift in the world. That what it means to keep a Shabbos, what it means to be able to daven in the morning, what it means to be able to talk to Hashem is the greatest gift in the world. If there's light in our homes, if our children understand how beautiful it is to be a Yid, how important it is to be a Yid, how special we are, how different we are, so then they have the capability to be able to succeed in the future. When Melech Biederman said, he drove from Iran to where we were staying. So he said such an unbelievable thing. He said that as he was driving in the car, he wanted to learn. He had been up, I think the Gabbai told us he had been up 70 hours. He stayed up the whole Friday night. He doesn't sleep the whole Friday night. He doesn't sleep, he doesn't sleep Shabbos afternoon. And he stayed up the whole Matzah Shabbos also. He does a Maduro when he goes to Meron. He's a few hundred people with him. He doesn't sleep Friday night. He didn't sleep Matzah Shabbos. The first time he went to sleep was Sunday, you know, midday. And then he came to us late Sunday night. So he wanted to catch up and I guess some of his learning. So he asked the Gabbai in the car. He said, is it okay if I turn on the light to, to read in the car, to learn a little bit in the car? So the Gabbai said, listen, I'm driving. It's a little bit difficult. The roads are dark especially the roads you know, around Meron, there's not a lot of street lights over there. He says, if the lights are on in the car, it's very difficult for me to be able to see the roads. I'm not gonna be able to know where I'm going. So Melech told us, he said, I understood that what he was saying was not just okay, just, you know, it wasn't just giving me a practical advice on how to be able to drive a car. What he was telling me is the secret of life, is that if a person wants to ensure that their kids don't see the road, if the person wants to ensure, parents wanna ensure their kids don't see the lights of the street, the way to do it is by making sure the lights in the home are on. When the lights in the home are on, when there's warmth in the home, when the kids feel loved and appreciated and, and respected, and the kid understands that the greatest thing in the world is to be a Yid, and the greatest thing in the world is to be able to daven and keep Shabbos and to be able to chesed and to be involved in everything, in everything that makes Yiddishkeit so beautiful, and the lights and the warmth are on in the home, so then the lights of the street don't talk to them. But when the lights are off, when it's just, okay, we're going through the motions, we're doing that which we need to do. And, and it's like Yavan, Yavan had no problem with us doing the motions. Yavan said you can, you can do the external things, but it can't have any internal beauty. You can have shemen, you can have oil, but it's tummy. You can have a base of mikdash, but it's impure. Yavan said do the external, but lose out on the internal. Just be missing on, on, on the real internal joy and satisfaction and, and recognition of how special it is to be a Yid. So when the lights are off, in the home, and there's no warmth in the home when it comes to being yid, when it comes to what, what it means to be a yid. So then, then, the, then, the, then the lights of the road are calling to the kid. And that's what it means to fight the klipa of Yavan. It's not just doing more. It's not just being involved. It's, it's a much more internal work. It's the work of starting to, for us as parents to start to recognize, to start to understand, to start to realize what it means to be a Yid and how precious it is to be a Yid and how that being involved in the world called Yiddishkeit is the greatest thing in the world. And the opportunity that we have to do mitzvahs and to connect to Hashem and to talk to Him in our own words is the greatest, greatest good in the world. And when we understand that and we appreciate that and we give that over to our children in a real way, then our children are set up with the tools to be, able to, to be able to really succeed. Our children are given the, the capabilities to say, okay, now we have the light shining inside of us. Now we have the confidence, we have the knowledge, we have the satisfaction. We, we, we have the fulfillment of knowing that what we have is the greatest gift in the world. And the middle of that, that which is on the street is not as beckoning, it doesn't talk to them as much because they know that they're filled with what they have. And that's the role of parents in general, but even more, it's the role of women specifically in this world. And the role of husbands and wife, the husbands, and we discussed this probably once before, that the husbands represent much more the role of doing. The husbands represent asiyah, represent doing. The husbands are the ones that are learning with the kids. The husbands are the ones that are taking kids to school. The husbands are the ones that are involved in the world of action. A woman represents the world of the internal. The whole idea of kol panima means that a, a woman represents the internal. A woman represents that which takes place, which is maybe not even tangible. You can't put your finger in it. A woman, a woman represents the capability to be able to make her house Rishus HaYachid. What Yavan wanted to do was to separate, to, to lose the separation between the Rishus HaYachid 
and the Rosh Hashanah to say it's all one. There's no difference between the street and the home. There's no difference between outside and inside. There's nothing special about what it means to be a Yid. There's nothing special about growing up in a Jewish home. We often said it's all the same. Right? One of the things that we say in Hanukkah is, we say this now, they broke the barriers, not just the physical barriers that led into the base of Mikdash. They broke the barriers down between what it means to be a Jew, what it means to grow up in a Yiddish home, and what it means the street. They broke that down and said it's all the same. And what a woman has the capability to be able to do more than the man even, is to be able to create that beauty, that special feeling of this is a Jewish home. And, and to give over to her children the, the knowledge, and, and not, not, just the, not just the mental knowledge, not the intellectual knowledge, but the emotional knowledge to know that what we have is the greatest gift in the world, that the capability to be involved in Yiddishkeit, capability to be able to do Torah and mitzvahs is the greatest good, that when her kids say a bracha and she says an amen properly, and she says that was a beautiful bracha and she compliments the kids, and when she says you know the parsha beautifully, and she gives her kids the confidence in knowing that what they have is the greatest gift and encouraging the kids, that's something which the man doesn't have the capability to do as much. It's something which is unique for the woman to be able to be involved in that world of kol kloy de bas to be able to give over to the children that beauty of what it means to be a yid, to be able to fight that klipa, which is called the yavon, which tries to say, okay, externally it's fine, but internally there's something missing. Internally there's no beauty there. This is why the whole, the whole yantif of Hanukkah, a tremendous amount of the yantif of Hanukkah revolves around the nace which took place with Yehudis and revolves around the fact that women are involved in the nace of Hanukkah because there's always two parts of the, of, of the lighting of the menorah. There's the preparation for the lighting of the menorah and then there's the actual lighting of the menorah. If you ask any one of us, I think we would all agree that probably lighting of the menorah is greater and on a higher level than preparing the menorah. In the Beis HaMikdash, it didn't work like that. In the Beis HaMikdash, there were two avoidas. One was called Hatavas Aneris. They did it every morning. They cleaned out, they cleaned out the glasses and they replaced it with new oil and new wicks. And the second one was called Alakas Neiros. The second one was when the, when the Kayin actually came and lit the Meneiros. The Chazal tells a fascinating thing. Chazal tells that preparation of the oil and the wicks needs to be done by a Kayin. The lighting does not need to be done on a Kayin. It can be done even by Yisrael. Now, Yisrael can't walk into the base of Mekdash. She would have to take it out. Exactly, practically how that works. It's a little bit complicated, but that doesn't... The, the point is, halachically, a, man, a, a regular Yisrael is capable of lighting the Meneiros, but preparing the Meneiros can only be done by a Kayin. Why? Because the preparation that's done, that which creates the keli for the, for the light to be lit is so much greater than the light actually being lit, right? You, t- you take the example of, you know, the crack off, crack off manure light. When you put that manure there and you set it up there and it's sitting there, how difficult, it is, how difficult is it to light the manure? It's not difficult. It's easy. It's simple. You take the match and you put it there. But if one wants to really prepare manure properly, so it, take, it takes work. You have to take it. You have to, you have to put the wicks together. You have to roll your own wicks or put the wicks into the, into the holders. And then you have to pour oil in to make sure you pour the right amount of What's more difficult, lighting the menorah or preparing the menorah? Obviously, preparing the menorah is more difficult. And in the base of Mikdash, it was a greater avoider to prepare the menorah than it was to light the menorah. Women represent a tavas Women represent preparing the menorah. They're the ones who are not lighting the menorah, even practically, halachically, most of us don't light the menorah. We're not involved in that avoider of lighting the menorah. But what does a woman do? A woman prepares the keli to be able to then have the light of the menorah, the light of Hanukkah, be able to exist. The woman prepares the home. The woman prepares the Rosh Hashanah She cleans out everything that's impure. She puts in proper, clean, pure oil, oil which is Kedusha. She puts the wick there. And then the husband has the easy job of coming, coming home and be able to read the parsha. She can take the kids to shul and be involved in the actual asiyah, that which is action. But the harder job, the one which is more meaningful, the one which lasts longer, and the one which is more important, is the, is the avoid of atavas and of cleaning out the wicks and cleaning out the oil and replacing that with brand new oil, brand new wicks and preparing it to be able to be lit 
by the husbands. That's the avoid of the woman. The woman's there to present, to, to create the structure, to create the keli. Woman's called a keli, the man's called the ar. The woman's there to create the keli, to create the vessel, which then allows the beauty of Hanukkah to take place. And it's kol kvoi pnima. It's internal. It's less seen externally, but it's that much more important because it gives the, it gives the ground for everything that the man's capable of doing, for everything that the kids are capable of feeling, all begins with that avoid of the woman being able to create that world which is called called the Meneira. When, 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 when this is done properly in a home, it doesn't just, give the, doesn't just give the kid the ability and the children the ability, and really the husbands and the wives as well, the ability to be able to keep the outside influences out. What Hanukkah does is so much more than that. What Hanukkah does is, is when a person understands and appreciates, and a person that says self-confident in what it means to be a Yid and values and, and recognizes the greatness of what it means to be a Yid, it doesn't just, it doesn't just allow them to say, okay, we're gonna keep the outside influence outside influences out. On the contrary, what they're capable of doing at that point is taking everything that they gained internally and being able to shine it externally. The mitzvah of Hanukkah is one of the few mitzvahs that doesn't take place within the home and only within the base of Medrash. It takes place on the, on the doorsteps. Originally the way it is, this is the way they do it in Eretz Yisrael even nowadays, is it takes place externally. It's not inside the home, it's on the doorsteps of the home or it's by the window of the home. It's shining the light to outside. When a kid feels satisfied, when our children feel satisfied and know what it means to be a yid and they have, they have the fulfillment and the satisfaction and the joy and the appreciation for what it means to be a yid, it's not just that, okay, we've now created a separation between the Rosh Hashanah and the Rosh Hashanah Rabbim, and now the Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish home is different than the street, but much more than that. What they're capable of doing is then taking the light of the Menorah, taking the light of Hanukkah, that warmth, that light, that, that which shines on Hanukkah, and they're then able to take it out to the street, and able to shine that light when they go outside. Every one of our children are gonna walk outside of the home, either practically every day when they go to school, or at one point in their life, they're gonna get older and they're gonna leave their home, they're gonna get married and they're gonna go on, they're gonna move on in life. What we're capable of giving them as parents when they're young is the light and the knowledge and the, and the feeling of fulfillment and satisfaction that when they then go out of the home, they're capable of walking out without light. The menorah shines its light outside, not only inside, it's able to shine its light to the outside. It's able to say, okay, we have the beauty inside, and but because we know and we understand and we appreciate the beauty inside, we're then capable of taking that outside to the street and shining the light on the street. When we light the menorah by the door, so the Gemara tells us that the Narchanikah is my small and the mezuzah is on the right side. The mezuzah is on the right side of the door and the, and the menorah is on the left side of the door. The mezuzah represents cutting off, making that separation, showing that when I walk into my home, I kiss the mezuzah and I say, this is the Rabbani Shalom's home. This is not a home like every other home. This is not just another house. This is the Rabbani Shalom's home. This is a Mikdash Ma'at. Every Yid's home is a Mikdash Ma'at. I kiss the mezuzah as I walk in and I recognize that this is special. This is not like every other home. This is a Jewish home. When I do that, then I'm capable of then as the child walks out, as the child walks out and as every one of us walk out, then the menorah is on the right side, giving us the capability to say, we're gonna take the light of Hanukkah, the warmth, the beauty of Hanukkah, and we're able to take it to the street. That's what Hanukkah represents. Yavan says, keep the home, but there's nothing premium there. There's nothing internal. There's nothing beautiful about it. It's just another home. It's just another house. And Torah is just another, another book. And Lashon HaKai is just another language. And Brismila is nothing special. They try to take everything special from us and suck the life out of it. The way that we fight the Klippa of Yavan, the way that we battle Yavan, 
It's not just by doing more. And that's why we said the Yantav of Hanukkah doesn't have a lot of action. It's not about action. It's about the internal appreciation and value and recognition of what it means to be a Yid. What happened during the story of Hanukkah is that there were so many Yidim who became Isyavnim, who became Greeks, they became Hellenists. They moved over to the other side because they didn't appreciate what it means to be a Yid. Okay, so what we have is nice and what they have is nice and they have you know, better teachers than we have and they have better, you know, more fun than we have. So let's move over to the other side. What they were lacking was and what they were missing was the art. They were missing the light, the, the knowledge, the happiness, the joy of what it means to be a Yid. And therefore, for them to move from one side to the other wasn't, wasn't anything, wasn't a big deal. The avoida of Hanukkah, the avoida of fighting, the battle of Yavon takes place inside the home. It takes place by recognizing that the beauty of what it means to be a Yid and giving it over to our children. We're capable of doing this in, in so many different ways throughout the day. We're capable of doing this in so many different ways throughout the week. Of showing our children how special it is to be a Yid. And one of the questions that was asked to Rabbi Berkowitz, and we were sitting with him, you know, one, one, some, somebody asked, you know, how, how, how are people supposed to, in general, we're talking about specifically, you know, the, the men that were there, but, but in general, how are people supposed to be able to create a connection, a deeper connection to their Rabbani Shalom? And he said, if, if the parents and the mothers and fathers are not talking to their Rabbani Shalom out loud in their home constantly, and their Rabbani Shalom is not part of the presence in their home, the Rabbani Shalom is not, doesn't live in their home in a real way, so then it's very hard to do. It's very hard for the kids to be able to grow up with having a real relationship to Hashem. They can daven and they can learn, they can follow all the external things. But if, if the Rabbani Shem is not a major part of the home, he, you know, his example was, he said his mother, every time she put a cake in the oven, I've heard him say this many times, so obviously had a very strong impression on him. He said his mother, every time she put a cake in the oven, she would say, Rabbani Shem, please help them, my cake doesn't flop. Please help them, my cake doesn't burn. The Rabbani Shem was a reality in their home. That They understood that if you want anything to take place in life, you have to turn to the Rabbani Shalom. If you want to know anything, everything's, everything revolves around the Rabbani Shalom. Everything's focused on the Rabbani Shalom. I heard Ram Shur said, he's rough and flapper, she said that his father, Gedal Yashur, so his father's Gudal Yishor, a bigger shishiva. He said his mother, every time she would talk to the children about doing something, Rav Amshor was one of her children, she said every time that she spoke to the children about doing anything, it was always within the context of a mitzvah. When she wanted to tell them to come eat supper, instead of saying, come, let's eat supper, she said, come, let's wash, let's wash until Sidayim. When she wanted it, everything was involved in, come, let's make a bracha. As opposed to, come, let's eat something. Come. Everything revolved around the mitzvah. Everything revolved around what it means to be a yid. Everything revolved around the beauty of what it means to be a yid. If we can, and it begins with us, and that's Robert Berkowitz you know, was saying that it really begins you know, up top. If we can start to appreciate and to value and to understand the beauty of what it means to be a yid, that we're shemen, that we're oil and we're pure and we rise to the top and we're not like the other nations and Torah is not like any other, any other subject and, and a Jewish home is not like any other home and, and being involved in a Shabbos meal is not just a meal that we have once a week we, we don't have any distractions and we don't have phone, but phones. It's something special. And having a Shabbos suit is something special. If we understand that and we appreciate that and we give that over to our children, then slowly we're giving them over that art, that light, which will then allow them to not just you know, be able to stay safe, but to be able to take that light and when they walk out onto the street, to be able to be confident and to say, we know that what we have is the greatest thing in the world. One of the differences, I spoke about this a while ago to the men, but one of the differences between Avram and Noyach was that Noyach's way of doing Kirov is very... Very, you know, very much, you know, we lock our kids, lock our kids in the teva, and very much we try to just keep everything inside, and then, you know, hopefully the, the outside influences don't get in. Avram Avinu had a whole different way of doing kiruv. Avram Avinu's way of doing kiruv wasn't just okay, you know, let's just hope the outside influences don't get come in. Avram Avinu said, "What I have 
And what we have as Yidin is the greatest thing in the world. And Avraham Avinu, every person that came in to eat in his house, Avraham Avinu said, do you know where you got the food from? Do you know who helped me make this food? Do you know who made the animals taste so delicious? It's all the Rabbani Shalom. And every person that came into his home understood and appreciated and valued and thanked the Rabbani Shalom in a very practical way, not in the way of them davening and learning, but they said, thank you Rabbani Shalom for everything that you gave me. And Avraham Avinu said, I'm not afraid of the outside world because I recognize that the light that I'm giving over to my children can wipe away anything in the outside world because it's powerful, it's strong, it's pure, it's real, it's authentic happiness. And when a child has that, when we have that, that we're capable of walking out to the street, holding the light of the menorah, saying we know that what we have is more powerful than anything in the world. When the lights are on in the home, then the lights of the street don't beckon to us. I just today, I had this chus to finish, the sefer, I'm learning in Morty Shtibol, the sefer Chavis HaTalmidim, an unbelievable sefer, unbelievable sefer. We were learning for two and a half years. Unbelievable sefer, very, very worthwhile for everybody to read, at least the beginning, the Hagdama, the introduction in English. Yeah, Feldheim put it out in English. It's worthwhile for every single parent to read it in English. It's, it, it's, it was written before the war in the 1930s, but it, it's more relevant perhaps today than it ever was before. He talks in such a realistic, practical way about what it means to be a parent and what chinuch looks like and how a person's supposed to be able to bring up their children in a healthy way, in a proper way, and how to deal with challenges and how to deal with kids that are chutzpah in, in such a real, practical way and explaining it in, in, with depth and with practicality. It's, it's a phenomenal safer. But we had the discussed to finish it today in the Shtibel. And I just, the last line that he ends the Sefer with, I think is, is the most powerful line. And I think it's, I was just thinking about this a lot today. I think this really touches up what Hanukkah is. He begins the Sefer one way. And I'll read you two, three lines from the beginning of the Sefer. This is the first words of the Sefer. And then I'll read you the end of the line. And I'll understand that these two lines that he says is what the secret of Hanukkah is. He begins the Sefer like this. He's, he's writing the Sefer written for Bachram. The introduction is meant for parents and, and educators. And then the actual Sefer is meant for high school kids. That's who he was writing to. He was a Rebbe in high school. He was a Rebbe, but he had a, a sift of high school kids. This is who he's writing to. This is how he starts to say, for Ashrech and Nar Yisrael, praiseworthy are you, child, you know, child, you know, a Jewish child. Praiseworthy is your portion. You were Zecha to learn the Torah, which is the Or Hashem, it's the light of Hashem. You are the beloved child of the Rabban Hashem. You are an only child of the Rabban Hashem. The, the, the Malachim, the angels are jealous of you and, they, and, they, and they, uh, they look at you and they recognize your value. The greatest Srafim, the highest, the finest Kodesh, the greatest Malachim, they look at you, they're blown away by you. This leads to, again, the 13, 14 year old kids, they're blown away by how special you are. And you, they give cover to. The Shemayim, all of its legions, everything up there, the Oretz and everything that fills it is happy. Because you're around, and it's and, and it recognizes your importance. The malachim are asking each other, Who is this child, this young child that has fire coming out of his mouth when he's sitting and learning and davening? And the rabbanim Who is this little kid that the rabbanim is so proud of? The rabbanim looks at it and says, "This is the great. This is my greatest pride and joy." That the rabbanim is calling over all the malachim and saying. Look at my child learning. Look at my child davening. Look at my child being mavatar and giving to somebody else. Look at the way my child is treating his friends. Who is this child? Hashem sameach b'cha. Hashem's happy with you. You, Jewish child, be happy and recognize and recognize how great it is to be a Yid. That's what he begins the Sefer. And then he spends the next 150 pages talking about practical things. But these are the lines that he begins the Sefer with. Recognize how beautiful it is to be a yid, recognize how powerful 
you are as a yid, and recognize that all of the malachim are jealous of every single yid, from the youngest, from the youngest child to the oldest person. Hashem semech b'cha, Hashem's happy with you. And then the last line that he ends the Sefer with, after going through 150 pages of practical advice about how to be able to, how to, be able to work on each midah and how to be able to grow in the greatest way possible, he ends the, he ends the Sefer with this powerful line. He says, And now my beloved Talmidim, Go and conquer the world. Go and conquer the world for the Rabbanish Shalom. That's how he ends the Sefer. If you begin the Sefer, and I don't just mean the practical Sefer, but I mean if you begin the conversation in your home, and with your children, and with yourselves, and your spouses, with the words, do you know what it means to be a Yid? Do you know what the Malachim are jealous of you? That you're the greatest, greatest pride and joy of the Rabbani Shalom? Then Mimela, you're able to end the Sefer with those words, then you have the capability and the strength to be able to go out and conquer the world. If you know and you, and you're, and you really have that satisfaction, that happiness of knowing what it means to be a Yid, then anything, then you can conquer the world. Then you're able to take the light of Hanukkah and to walk out onto the street and to say, I'm not capable of doing anything. And that's what it means to be able to fight the cliff of Yavan. We began with the question of why is Hanukkah specifically connected to the house and not a person. Hanukkah should be like every other mitzvah. It should be a chayvah's gavra. Hanukkah is a chayvah's bias. Hanukkah is a chayvah's of the dira. It has to do with the home. It's never issue based. The whole idea of Hanukkah is not in the, not in the base medrash. It's not in the street. Hanukkah revolves around the beauty of what it means to have a Jewish home. The recognition of the value of what it means to be a yid, of what it means to be involved in Yiddishkeit. I mentioned to my wife on the way here that I, I, I was, as I was you know, thinking, about, thinking about this year, I was reminded of a story that I said maybe about perhaps two years ago. In Bordish Tivo, and it's such a powerful story. I heard it over from someone, from, from someone who heard it over in Shir, from someone in Yushalayim. It's such a powerful story, and I think it's, it, it, we'll end with this, because this, this is, if you know the story, and you can internalize the story, and understand the story, and give the story over to yourselves and to your children, you'll be able to uh, tell your children, go and conquer the world, and they'll be capable, and have the confidence to know that what we have is special, and have the light inside of them, and the warmth inside of them to be able to conquer the world. There was a masif, uh, uh, an elementary class, and Eretz Yisrael, one of the Haredi schools in Yerushalayim, where the Rebbe had promised them at the end of the year, that a, that a, a full year full of this reward chart, and if at the end of the year all the kids did everything necessary to be able to get to the, you know, get the prize at the end, he was going to take the whole class to a water park. Now, for a Haredi kid, to go to a park is a big deal. To go to a water park is like the greatest thing in the world. This, is the, this was what they were looking forward to the whole year. They had a huge chart hanging in their class, and they would have to get points and accumulate points. They would lose points if... For, you know, for, for not great behavior. And this was the whole year. They were looking forward to the end of the year that they were gonna finally accumulate enough points to be able to go to the water park. It comes the Sunday that they promised to go to the water park and the kids are up early, early in the morning. I know my daughter had, had, her, you know, had her first birthday party this, uh, this Sunday. She was up at 5 a.m., right? <laughs> 5 a.m. knocking on the door. Is it time to go? Is it time? She's going at three o'clock in the afternoon. Is it time to go? Is it time to go? Every 10 minutes, she's knocking on the door. Is it time yet? Is it time yet? She was sitting there counting down the minutes very good at math just from figuring out this birthday party. So these kids, these Israeli Haredi kids, you know, fourth, fifth graders, this is, they're excited and they're looking forward and the day they're getting ready, Matsu Shabbos, they're putting out their bathing suits already and they're putting out everything in their camps and everything that they need and they're very, very excited. They come Sunday morning to Yeshiva and they head straight, and they head straight on the bus. They pull up to this water park that they'd rented out just for their Yeshiva. Obviously it was a separate swimming, they rented out just for their Yeshiva. They pull up to the water park and as they pull up, they see this other buses there. I say, is it weird? So the Rebbe says, Manal says, I'm going to go off, I'm going to find out, I'm going to talk to the, you know, to find out what exactly is here. We're supposed to have the, you know, private, uh, private, private water park just for ourselves. He goes off the bus and he goes to the office of the water park, you know, the management, and he says, you know, what's going on? We have the water park. 
He says, something doesn't make sense because there's another group here already. They look at the calendar. And there's a miscommunication. They doubled up the day. So he says, fine. So the water park manager said, listen, it's a big water park. There's plenty of room for both the groups here. You can come in. So he says, okay, not a problem. We'll come in. Who's the other group? So he said, a Chiloni girl's school, you know, somewhere, somewhere outside your line. He says, listen, these are Haredi boys. They can't go, they can't go in, you know, with, with girls. It's not going to happen. It's mixed swimming. It's not going to happen. Fine, the guy, the guy feels terrible. The manager feels terrible. Here he is, he, you know, he had promised them and it was his, mis- his mistake. He double booked it. He said, listen, I have an opening in two weeks. Come back in two weeks, I'll give you the park. I promise, I'll make sure there's no double bookings. I'll give you the park and it's all yours. Fine, now the principal has to now go back to the bus and there's four buses, of, four buses of boys sitting there waiting to come off the bus to go to the water park. They have everything, they're ready, they're psyched. They're waiting the whole year, this is it. This is what they're waiting for. And he goes back to the bus and he delivers the news to the rabbi and says, listen, you know, you have to take the, take, take the boys back. And we're going to come back in two weeks. There's nothing we can do. It's, it's, there's not from girls in there. There's girls in there. There's nothing we can do. The boys can't go. Fine. Now, <laughs> kids are devastated, obviously. The kids are fuming. This is where the kids may be a little bit more chutzpah than American kids. There's a lot of screaming and yelling going on most of the buses. And there's, the, the rabbi have a pretty rough drive back to yeshiva. They come back to yeshiva and the principal, you know, wasn't on one of the buses. The principal always drives in the car. He doesn't come on the buses. He doesn't have to deal with uh, the chaos, especially after something like this. So he comes back and he asks the rabbi, he says, you know, how was it? How was your trip back? So three out of four of the buses say it was terrible. It was chaos, total chaos. The kids were screaming and yelling and throwing things. And they know that it was two weeks were going, but they want to go now. And they're waiting. And now not only are they not going to a water park, they have to go back to class. And they're going to a regular day of school and they have to sit through a day of school. And in two weeks they're going, the little kids, they can't wait two weeks for something. The kids are devastated and screaming. One of the buses, the fourth bus, the Rebbe on the bus said the kids were great. He said, oh, he said, a wonder, he said, a phenomenal thing happened. He said, the kids were sitting on the bus and they were getting edgy, edgy at the beginning. And he said, one kid came over to me and said, can I have the mic? And I said, absolutely not. You're not getting the mic for any money in the world. You don't take the mic, there's enough screaming as it is. The kid's like, I promise you. Rebbe said, give me the mic. I'm telling you, give it to me for five minutes. I have a plan, I'm telling you. Fine, couldn't get any worse. He gave the kid the mic. And the kid gets in the mic. He's a little kid, in fourth and fifth grade. He gets in the mic and he says, Kindleloch, he says in Hebrew, obviously. He says, do you know why we weren't capable of going to the water park? Because there were girls in the water park. And we're Haredim, and we keep the Rabbanishlam's Torah, and we follow the Ratzon Hashem, and we're not able to go to a water park because it's mixed in the water park. And the Rabbanishlam doesn't want to go to a water park. And he says, I want, to sing, I, want to, I want all of us to sing a song to recognize how great it is to be a Yid. And this little kid, this fourth grader, starts singing, Look how beautiful it is to be good. Look how special it is. Yeah, it's hard. It's difficult. We're unable to go into a water park. But it's not because we're anything less than. On the contrary, it's because we're more than. It's because we're greater. It's because we're more capable. It's because we're on a higher level. And therefore, we have higher standards for ourselves. And therefore, we're not going to the water park. And as Rebbe said, he got the whole bus to sing the whole way back to school. And the kids came back happy, and they came back, obviously it was hard, but they came back fulfilled, they came back satisfied, knowing that we made the right move, because this is what the Rabbi Hashem wants. The principal was blown away, he never heard anything like this. This is a fourth grader, the Rebbe couldn't do this. Forget about a fourth grader doing this. He called, he, he's like, I have to call this kid's parents. He calls the kid's, calls the kid's parents and says, who are you? Who are you? Tell them like, who you are, what's your secret? How, how are you capable of, of bringing up a kid like this? He said, I'm not anything special. I'm not a Rosh Hashiva, I'm not a Mashkiach. I don't have any yichos, I'm just a regular person. He says. Regular people don't bring up kids like this. How, how, how would your kid have the fortitude to be able to get on the mic and to be able to get the other kids into it and to give over the beauty of what it means to be a yid to the kids who just suffered such a difficult you know, message of, of not being able to go to the water park? He said, probably I'll tell you what it came from. He said, a few weeks ago, he said, my wife took the kids on a Sunday to the mall. It was on a Sunday. I don't think they have off in school. And uh, there's 12 schools on Sunday, but they had an off day and took the kids to the mall. 
And she bought them all ice cream. It was a hot day. They were boiling hot. They were sweating. And she bought them all ice cream. And as they're walking out, one of the kids noticed that the haksha was an haksha that we eat. It's just, well, there's a lot of different haksharim and things get very complicated. What haksha you do eat? What haksha you don't eat? And she, so it wasn't a haksha that we eat. So my wife called me. My wife said, listen, we're all in the mall. It's boiling hot. I bought them ice cream. I'm not going back into the mall to get them more ice cream. You know, can they eat this haksha this one time? And I said, listen, it's really better not. It's really better if they take the ice cream and throw it out. And, you know, maybe next time they go to the mall, they'll be able to get ice cream. Fine. Now the kids are obviously disappointed. The kids are sad. They threw the ice cream out. This is you know, their treat. It's hot outside. They're sweating. They, they finally have the chance to get ice cream. But the kids listened. The mother said to throw it out. The kids threw it out. The father said, I came home early from work that day. He said, I left, I left work early that day. I came home before my kids got home from the mall. And I decorated the house with balloons and streamers. And I bought a cake from the ice cream store. I said, my kids walked in the door. And my kids said, Ta, what are you doing home from work? You're supposed to be in work now. And he said, I came home because of the tremendous Kiddush Hashem that you kids made when you threw out your ice cream. I know it was difficult for you, and it was hard for you, and it's hot outside, and you wanted the ice cream. The Kiddush Hashem that you made when you threw out that ice cream, I felt that it's something to celebrate. And the father said, we started dancing around the table. We danced around and around the table. So he said, perhaps that's where my kid got it from. To bring up kids like this begins at home. It begins from the parents. It begins from the mother, maybe even more than the father, but it begins with the panemius. It begins with, with understanding and appreciating and, and valuing, valuing what it means to be a yid, to recognize the beauty of to recognize that we're different, we're special, we rise to the top, we're not like any other nation, we're different. This is what Kislev is about. Kislev is the avayda of recognizing what a, what a Yiddish home looks like. The preciousness of what a Yiddish home is. It's not just that, okay, we light Shabbos candles and we light them in the and keep Shabbos. More than that, how beautiful is it to keep your Shabbos? Right? Malik was, was screaming at the men that they have to have that day, Gamliel actually. He told the men, he said, you know, Friday night, he said, it's not, it's not a restaurant. You think you just, you know, you eat wife's food and you go to sleep? If this thing's mirrors Friday night at home, if they say Divrei Torah, Gamliel told us, he said that when he, when he was younger and his kids were living at home, he said, starting from Matzei Shabbos, every Matzei Shabbos, he started thinking about what Divrei Torah and what stories he would tell his kids that in the next week Shabbos day. He's the Rosh Hashiva of Shara Shemayim, the biggest, the biggest Kabbalah Yeshiva in Eretz Yisrael. He doesn't need to think about. But he said it was important for me to figure out what messages can I give over to my kids to give them over a positive feeling towards Yiddishkeit. And that's obviously, he was telling this to the fathers, but I'm saying this you know, to the woman, this is even, even perhaps more. The woman, the woman are at home, the woman are at home more, and they're capable of creating that, that Rosh Hashiva that specialness of what it means to live in, live, in, live in the house of a Yid, to be able to grow up as a Yid, to be able to grow up as a free Yid, to give this over to ourselves, to our spouses, and to our children, that they should recognize, they should appreciate, they should value what it means to be a Yid. I think we mentioned last month, I don't remember 100%, but that every month has an ice, every month has a letter which represents that month. The month of Chaydesh Kislev is the, is the letter Samach. And I think that, that what, what the letter Samach represents is creating something beautiful, creating a circle, creating a, a, a circle of our homes, that our homes are different. Our homes have gedarim. Our homes have something special inside of them. There's something beautiful inside of them. There's a light that shines in every one of our homes. Shabbos is different. Davening is different. Breakfast is different. Everything's different in our homes because our homes are Yiddish homes. Our homes are different. And when we do that, and we really believe in it, we really give it over to our kids, both subtly and in ways which are not so subtly, out loud, and give it over to them and express it to them again and again and again, express it to ourselves again and again and again, we'll have the capability to give over that message to our children in a way which will not only be capable of not allowing the oven to get in, but like we said, they'll be capable of actually taking the light and the warmth of Hanukkah and being able to spread it outside. Hashem should help us. It's, it's, it's a difficult thing, but it begins with us. And it begins with us valuing this and us recognizing this and us appreciating this. When we do this and we, make, we ensure that our homes are warm, not just 
emotionally warm, which is also important, also a crucial part of this. But our homes are warm in terms of spiritual. Our homes are warm in terms of what it means to be a year that we value and appreciate and, and make it something that's, that's spoken about again and again in our homes, what it means to be a year that we'll be able to give over that message to our children and our children will be able to take that Ner Chanukah, a beautiful warm light that's Chanukah, which is in the darkness and in the middle of the winter and be able to take that and like the Piyatsasa says, they'll be able to conquer the world with the confidence, with the knowledge, with the appreciation for the light that they already have.